on him and commissioned him as the Lord had directed through Moses. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now I have to admit, I do not like this scripture. I don't. I started out this week really bummed out that this was the text for today. It made me kind of angry and sad. Do you ever encounter scripture like that? You sit down to read it, so hopeful. You open the book and you're filled with negative emotions. Anger, sadness, confusion, worry, and maybe fear. But that's not how we should read scripture, but it can be easy to do. Because scripture should not leave us angry or sad or confused or fearful, at least not forever. And so as I sat with this story of Moses, not being able to go into the promised land, my view and my emotions finally did change. They turn to things like trust. And so I pray by the end of this, maybe you as well will feel trust. If you have been with us the last several weeks, we have been on a journey with Moses and the Israelites. Where they escaped slavery in Egypt and were following this idea of a promised land. And if you're like me, you saw yourself in this story knowing that you have wondered, you have doubted, you have messed up or complained in our own desert seasons. I know I have. It's really hard not to when you find yourself in those situations. And even though most of us know this story well, you kind of forget and you convince yourselves, man, I cannot wait to see how this ends. I cannot wait to see their faces when they get to the promised land. Moses, oh man, I wish I could be there. I mean, you're like, it's going to be like Disney World. There's going to be a big parade. There's going to be chanting. They're going to crowd surf Moses. So he gets to go in first. And then you realize Moses doesn't get to go in. There's this passing of leadership to this guy named Joshua. Who's Joshua anyway? And we figure out that Moses doesn't get to go in because of something that happened earlier. That he gets punished. You may not remember the story, but back in Numbers 20... God said he would yield water out of a rock, that a spring would come forth. But Moses took it in his own hands because people who were grumbling and complaining once more. And he took his rod and he struck the rock twice and water did come out. But God replied, because you did not trust me enough to affirm my sanctity in the sight of the Israelite people, Therefore, you shall not leave this congregation and the land that I have given them. What? You, we must have read something wrong. This can't be true. 
Are you serious, God? This, this seems a little harsh. From one little mistake, he gets banned from the whole thing? And maybe you're like me. You read Numbers 20 and you're like, well, God will probably forget he said that, right? There's no way he can remember. Similar to parents, you know, you should never really say things or threaten your children unless you're ready to follow through, right? Have you made that mistake before? I've been like that. Usually it's Scott's fault. But we'll be riding in the car and we're headed to small group, which I look forward to every other week to see my friends and to see their children. And Andy gets to play with them. And like clockwork, Andy usually is a little fussy on the way over there. And Scott will start to say those words that I hate to hear. If you don't straighten up, we are going to turn this car around and you don't get to go. And I just want to shove the words back in his mouth, right? Because I'm like, no, I want to go. It's not about you guys. I want to go. Andy, if you mess this up, do not screw this up for your mother. But I think about that with this, that God was probably serious. And so we take from scripture that Moses was punished that he did not trust, that he did not have this faith. So he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And this is where I start to squirm. This is where I do not like this story. Because I can see that a crack could start. That our theology could break apart and maybe some bad theology could creep in. Maybe questions like, can our whole life be determined by one mistake? If I make one wrong move, if I stumble a bit, does it completely set me back? Does it set me off course? Do I get personally punished by God? Am I not getting to the promised land because I don't have enough faith? And those questions can begin to pour in and we start to think about them more and more. And then before we know, we can have a very different view of God. So I want to talk about a couple. Let's talk about when situations aren't good. I want to acknowledge that some things aren't good. I don't care how much we sugarcoat it or how much lipstick we put on it. Things don't always work out. The desert is hard. And we wander and we question and we think. And we're so hopeful. But then in the end, we still don't get that job. We still don't get a positive pregnancy test. We don't get cured. And we have to be comfortable even being as trusting and faithful as we can be. We have to be comfortable with saying, you know, this isn't fair. It's not okay. This is not what I expected. This is not what I wanted. We can still have faith and still say those things. Some of us have been taught to say, well, I learned so much in that desert 
And maybe you did, but that doesn't erase the pain or the suffering or the disappointment. And it can be easy and tempting to try to minimize our pain or someone else's. It is okay to be a faithful person and still say things like, this doesn't make sense. We have pressure to appear thankful and that we should just give praise and honor. But the desert and the end result can still make us scratch our head and say, huh. In other weeks, you probably talked about how the reason, maybe the reason we encounter the desert is due to someone else's mistake or sin or being at the wrong place at the wrong time or simply the effects of living in a broken world and that our bodies break down and sometimes have disease. So being held back from the promised land is not always our fault. Being held back from the promised land is not always our fault. The second thing I see is this idea of not having enough faith. And I know you may push back and say, well, kind of looks like Moses didn't have faith and so that's why he didn't get to go in. But I want you to put that out of your head for a moment. And think about what it's like to be a person of faith. You know what it's like to have dips in your faith, don't you? If you're lucky, maybe it's minutes, maybe it's days, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months, even years. And we don't serve our God who's just sitting around waiting for those moments, those times where we dip and says, ha ha, gotcha. You're disqualified now. You don't have faith. You don't get what you want. That's not how God works. We know at times our faith can feel like it's on life support. My goodness, we all know the story of Mother Teresa struggling with her faith for years. So I feel like we need to get it out of our heads that if we would have just believed more, if we would have prayed more, if we would have given more, if we would have served more, maybe if we would have gone to that church down the road, that we would be in the promised land. Receiving the promised land isn't always dependent on our actions or on who we are. I do want to take a moment to say that when it comes to the desert, a time of wandering, maybe of grief, maybe even of suffering, I don't believe God ordains or sends grief or suffering to punish. Scripture is too clear about the love that this God has for us. That God is always rooting for us. That God has grace and mercy and is always moving towards us so that we can know his love deeper. It is not in his nature to be cruel. That's not the God I know. Because I believe that God is good. Even when it's really, really hard to believe that. I also believe God doesn't send us to these 
desert times and then doesn't deliver in the end just to test us, just to teach us. I believe God has a million different ways to teach us things and doesn't have to put us through heartache. Again, that would change who God is. And I know for many saying that, well, this was just a test or maybe God was just trying to work on me. Sometimes that is helpful for them. And for some, it's just not. It also um, can be tempting to say, well, everything happens for a reason or maybe this was God's will, but we know that those phrases often can be very damaging, very painful and often turn people away from God. But I know it's tempting to want to blame someone or something or explain situations that we don't understand. But I think we have to be careful of the picture of God that we were painting, especially when we have suffered. So I came across this really great quote in the book, Making Sense of the Bible by Adam Hamilton, our Pope of the Methodist Church, if you don't know him. And I loved this quote, so I wanted to share it with you. Suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it, we may learn. Suffering is not given to teach others something, but through it, they may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it, our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering, his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our life. And so I thought about that. And I thought about the Israelites and Moses and all the emotions that they had gone through on this long, long journey. How much they felt they probably had suffered. But I am hopeful that they felt like they did learn something. That maybe their faith was strengthened and that something was accomplished. And that maybe there was good out of this situation. But the problem still is Moses for me. The fact he didn't get to go in, that still doesn't sit well with me. So I go back to Numbers 20, where it all happened. And I'm struck by one word. Therefore, you shall not leave this congregation in the land that I have given them. Them. Did you notice how it doesn't say the land I've given you, Moses? And when you start to replay the entire story of Moses back to the beginning when God spoke to him through the burning bush, God was never like, Moses, I can't wait to take you to the promised land. It was always about other people. So the promised land was never really for Moses. It was for the people. 
And so I've taken this mindset that the promised land is never just for one person. It isn't solely for us. We are to be people that are putting others before us. We need to be looking for those who aren't here yet. And seeing those beside us, those behind us. The promised land can benefit so many when we realize it isn't about us. So I started thinking, how am I working for a promised land that can be for all? How am I investing in students and children? How am I standing up for those who have no voice? Those who feel like they are forgotten? Those who are oppressed? Who is a Joshua in my life? How am I helping build a promised land for a Joshua? How can I help lead? How can I embrace change and things that I know that are not for me, that maybe do not make sense to me, but are for others? But I can tell you, it's hard. It's hard to put effort and work into things that do not benefit me, that someone else gets to reap the reward. No one likes to do that. But I believe that's exactly what we are called to. You know, I think about my daughter and how I hope that she gets to enter into a promised land that I only dream about. Or I wish I could go back in time and talk to females that so badly wanted to preach the gospel and lead churches, but were told no time and time again. Or to the first female clergy in the United Methodist Church. I wish I could say thank you for climbing mountains and speaking up. Knowing that you were paving a way that maybe you would never get to see. And because of their efforts, I get to be in a sort of promised land that they only dreamed about. Or I think about a family Maybe the marriage is destructive and the spouse leaves and they never find love again. And maybe they struggle financially and they never feel like they got to enter into the promised land. But the kids that got out of that situation too, they get to enter into a promised land. They get to see what a healthy home life looks like. They get to witness what it means to make hard decisions, to stand up for for yourself, to be brave, to be courageous. They get to see a promised land. I also think of someone that has cancer and doesn't make it. And that maybe all the doctors and nurses that had worked so hard tried so many different things and they finally figured it out what the perfect combination of treatment was but it was a little bit too late but their efforts were able to allow so many into the promised land of healing and being cured some examples of allowing others to get into the promised land are easier to swallow I recognize that. I know that. And I remember that some things aren't fair. 
and it still hurts. But I think about Christ and how he suffered on our behalf so we could be ushered into a promised land. A promised land that many times we do not deserve, that we did not earn, but he still did it anyway. And so I remember that and I think about how can I be part of following after Christ and paving a way or stepping aside so as many people can enter into whatever is their promised land. And remembering that I may not get what I want. It may look different. I may not get it at all. I may suffer. But how one of the best offerings, one of the best examples of obedience and trust and loving others is to allow others enter instead of us. So today I ask you, Lover's Lane, what are you doing today in order to make sure people you know or may not know or never ever meet get to the promised land? Because after all, the promised land is not just for you, but for all.